Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Mr. Mason Japa, who's the CEO and co-founder of Blockware Solutions. And we're going to be talking about you know, what Block, uh, Blockware Solutions does um, and how it helps uh, people who are, you know, out there mining cryptocurrencies, some of the security concerns related to cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency mining, and probably some other things as well. But first off, let's welcome Mason. Mason, how are you? Hey, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on, Mark. I think we're going to have uh, a lot of things to talk about. It's been a wild last few years, and a day in crypto feels like six months in the regular world. So always <laughs> topics that we can talk about. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things I like to talk to people about is how do you keep abreast of all the latest developments? Because there's so many different things going on. So what do you do? How do you, you know, know what's what's going on and what's relevant and which way to go? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I think it, I think for me, it's a lot of reading. I usually read about um, news in blockchain or news in mining, and I do a lot of charting. And, and usually I do that in the mornings and at nights. Because during the days, you know, we can get busy and have meetings and be texting and talking. So when it's quiet, I like to catch up. And then I also, you know, and I get a lot of good information from, you know, the different people that I follow on, on news mediums like Twitter and Discord channels and, and you know, people that I, you know, talk to daily. So I think, I think it's just important to build that daily regimen because, you know, things can change very fast in this world. So you need to be on top of it, especially when you're operating at, a high level. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're you're leading a company, you have all that day-to-day -day operational thing, but you you still need to be understanding what's going on in the, you know, the the, the industry as a whole. What's the comp competitive landscape look like, and what's your vision for the company based upon you know the signal you're receiving. So um, it's a it's a big challenge. But um, before we go too far into that, maybe you can just uh, step back a little bit and explain, you know, how how did you get involved with uh, blockchain and the creation of Blockware Solutions? Yeah, no, that's great. I, I think it's always nice to look back look back into memory lane. So for me, I was always passionate about technology. Uh, I went to school uh, in the University at College School of Business. I got a degree in finance and accounting. Almost became an investment banker had investment bank interviews and offers, um, but then I looked at myself in the mirror and decided that I wanted to work in technology. Um, so I, I decided to uh, decline those offers and and uh, get a master's degree in uh, master's degree in information systems. And that around that time, it was in 2013, I, I discovered Bitcoin. And, and that was at the same time, I kind of pivoted into information systems and information security and technology. So it all kind of connected to me from at that point. And um, then I knew I eventually wanted to work in cryptography or in blockchain or, or help build on Bitcoin and, and help build the narrative around it. Um, so around 2015, um, I, I was management consulting. I, um, my family came from a manufacturing background, uh, mainly wood manufacturing. So we had a, a setup of having a warehouse of space, some excess energy, and that's kind of the perfect outlet for mining cryptocurrency, right? Um, so I set up some Ethereum graphic card miners and started buying Bitcoin miners and, and just built my own small operation. And through doing so, and, and you know, actually building my own small operation, I saw a lot of fragmentation in just the sourcing of that equipment. 
And I saw really a lack of transparency and trust in that marketplace. And I saw a lot of risk as well. Um, back when you, if you were to mi order mining rigs, you know, in 2016, even 2017, um, there were just a few manufacturers, you'd have to pay them in cryptocurrency. So in Bitcoin or Ethereum or uh, Bitcoin Cash, for example. And a lot of time the batches would drop and sell out in minutes. And usually it'd be on um, Hong Kong time or, or China time. So it'd be at like four in the morning. You'd have to stay up all night, you know, hope that you could secure some machines. And you also took on currency risk, right? Because we're trading a volatile asset. And if they're only taking on Bitcoin as payment, if Bitcoin went down in 30% of value while you were waiting to place an order, you lost 30% of the machines you'd like to order. So that's when I decided to found Blockware Solutions, which I did in 2017. Um, strictly originally just started, wanted to be a hardware sourcing company. And we wanted to be a trusted and transparent entity that people could order mining hardware from. And our goal is to bring hash rate or computational power for Bitcoin to the United States and just be a trusted partner in the ecosystem. And, and you know, it turned out that we started the company at a very bright time. And we also wanted to decentralize the network, right? If you're thinking back in 2017, a lot of the Bitcoin mining network was in China, you know, maybe 90%. And I'd say in the United States, representatively at that time, there was like 0.2% of the Bitcoin mining network was mining in the United States. So, so there's been a huge shift and we can talk about that more, but that, 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 that was the start. And then over the years, um, I want to verticalize, right? And become a vertically integrated company. And so, you know, once you buy a mining uh, rig, then you need a place to host it, right? And data center hosting is too expensive. So you need, you know, tier zero or lean and mean data centers, you know, like warehouses with um, air, air um, or CFM, cooling instead of air conditioning. Um, and then you need you know, a lot of different high powered infrastructure um, to do so. And you need low cost energy because that's 90% of the cost. You have to worry about politics so you don't get banned from mining in your state or country, um, which we've seen historically happen in China. We've seen it happen in certain states and we see it taking a front hold with regulatory policy in the United States. Um, and then you need technicians, et cetera. So we, we started to set up hosting facilities. You need mining software. You need uh, experienced technicians to be able to repair and reboot. And so over the years, um, since 2017, we've really um, developed that solution. And, and what, we, what we're trying to do is make mining easy for the masses of the people. Um, and with that, you know, I believe we've, we have proven that to become true. And since I founded the company, you know, now we have about 40% and climbing of Bitcoin mining hash rate in the United States, so it's been a magnificent story, and I think our company um, certainly be certainly played a part in in pushing out that narrative and, and moving moving mining here. So that's several really impressive data points there, and um, an impressive evolution of the company. I, I got to ask. I mean, I'm going to go back to the beginning, and then we'll we'll get into more what you're doing now. But back in 2013, you you know you started to kind of have an interest in in, in cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, and I mean. That's kind of when I started looking at it too, and the the challenge that I had was I would try to talk to people about it, and everybody thought I was nuts. As as late as even maybe 2017, 2018, if I asked, you know, the ten closest people to me, have you looked at Bitcoin? They all looked at me like, dude, just forget about it, man. No way, you know. <laughs> it's like, and like, so I got to ask because you know you're talking about 2013. At 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 what point did you uh, you know? 
convinced or we became convinced that, hey, you know what, this is something that's really happening. And how were you able to kind of reach out and connect with other like-minded people back then? Wow, uh, great questions. So I think I think the I think there's catalyst events that took place that really took Bitcoin to the next level. And honestly, I think the largest catalyst was the Silk Road. It brought Bitcoin to a global news medium, and it was a payment ne- mechanism for transacting products. Regardless, you know, taking the Silk Road pol- you know, policies, whether you believe in it or any of those narratives, Bitcoin powered the backend payment system, and and it proved out to be a successful way to transact, and it proved out to be a private way to transact. Well, not as private as people thought, but the decentralized genesis of Bitcoin itself was fascinating. And the fact that you could pay somebody at any point in time of the day, and you could send millions and billions of dollars over a network with just the click of a button and having that transaction verified. And, you know, with the way that blockchain works and Bitcoin works, it's, it's written on a ledger and the miner is the one that verifies that transaction. That was when I was like, oh my God. And to your point of earlier, man, I agree. I still, a lot of what I've done over my years is try to educate. And that's why we have an entire research arm where we've been writing very detailed research, mainly covering mining, on-chain analysis of different networks, mainly focused on Bitcoin. And then all the equities, the publicly traded equities that have exposure to digital currency, mainly Bitcoin mining equities, but you see new ones coming up. And I think the more I can educate, the more we can get adoption and understanding. And now the institutions are here and, and it's easier. But you know, if you're talking in 2013, 2014, 2015, when I founded this company, everyone thought I was crazy. And the first people I talked to, I feel like I just spent so much time trying to just get them to understand the base element of it. And then having to, the, to educate them on mining, which is a whole other ball game, um, was very tough. So, you know, winning over our first clients was, was certainly a challenge. And at the time I was, I'm 30 now. So I was, you know, like 26 when I started this company. Mm-hmm. Now, so, um, well, let's, uh, let's dig in a little bit. So, you know, you, you mentioned, um, you started creating mining rigs for for sale. Um, I mean, t- tell us a little bit about what what is a mining rig. Um, what do you have to do? What and if you were in the market, if I were in the market for a mining rig, what what should I be looking at? Yes, and just to clarify, we do not build the machines. We partner with the manufacturers, and then there's a fascinating secondary market where I really think the magic happens. And the, so the secondary market of you know, P2P transactions. So the, the largest manufacturers are based in China and really the, the two largest are, are called Bitmain and MicroBT. Um, so you can, so we as a company take on um, large purchase contracts with the manufacturers and then we distribute our what we receive from the manufacturers to our client base and we resell them and then we can sell them, you know, with hosting, meaning they, they host the machine with us or we can just ship it directly to our client base, right? We also buy from the secondary market, and we we kind of became market makers in the secondary market, at least for the United States, right? You know what what is the price of the machine? Um, because these machines they change in price daily, right? Because they're 
net inflow or the net cash that they generate changes because Bitcoin price changes, you know, by the minute or by the second. Really, um, it's it's really interesting. So that, that marketplace. So, you know, one day the price of a machine could be X dollars and the next day it could go up 10% if Bitcoin went up 20% that day or something. Usually, I like to say there's a perfect positive correlation to the price of the machines and and Bitcoin um, in this example. And, and how you order a machine, well, if you're lucky enough to work with, directly with a manufacturer, um, then that's a great way to do it. But because the manufacturers, you know, have changed in policy, you know, Joe from Kansas, who's trying to invest $50,000, the manufacturers aren't going to work with, with them directly, right? It'd be like, you, you know, it, you know, in, in, in an AI world, it'd be like, you know, asking Tesla to ship them $50,000 worth of their proprietary chips that they use in their vehicles. It's just, it doesn't work. Um, so that's why company, you know, that's why companies like us exist. You know, it'll, it'll, it gives, you know, Joe from Kansas a chance to participate in um, so they can buy the machines from us and, you know, we can, we can control the entire process and make it easy. Um, so I think that's why it's essential for there to be service providers because it allows people to participate. And ultimately the more decentralized the network is, the better. Um, and as you see all these large miners that pop up, the, the publicly traded miners, you know, the riots, the marathons, the bit farms, um, and, and the more, and the large orders they place, you know, you, you get worries of centralization, but I think, you know, entities like us, you know, continue to decentralize because we're spreading it out to the masses. And that's, that's really an important foundation fundamental piece of what Bitcoin is and, and what it's meant to be. So if I was Joe, um, and I had $50,000 is, I mean, what, what, should I look for and what would I actually get and what could be my expected ROI on whatever it is that I'm purchasing? Yeah, great questions. And I didn't think I answered. So what is a mining rig? Let me reverse. Think of it like a high powered server, right? But it's a purpose built server. So inside of a server, you have um, silicon chips or, or graphic cards, right? If you're doing uh, you know, alternative currency mining and then you have a power supply and a motherboard and can I just can, just just one question before you go down there? Um, like, how much coin specific or currency specific attributes are there for the different rigs? Are they? Yeah. yeah. Can I go and use one? You know, one size fits all, or do I need to be very specific in terms of what I'm looking for? That's a great question. So, Bitcoin to mine Bitcoin, it's the largest network and it's the most difficult to mine. It's the most competitive. So you you have to buy what's called an ASIC. It's a, it's a high power purpose built machine that can only mine Bitcoin's algorithm. So so if you wanted to mine Bitcoin, you have to buy that specific Bitcoin mining ASIC to be competitive. And and you need you know you typically you want to buy the latest and the greatest, and you want to keep up with the technology up, upgrades that take place. And usually I I see you know three three um, ASIC or server upgrades in the Bitcoin world, um, three major upgrades happen every five years or so. Um, but on the flip side, there's thousands of cryptocurrencies, right? And then you get into other discussions. There's there's proof of work, meaning you have to have a server and you need physical energy and you, you're plugging in a machine to mine the currency. And there's proof of stake, which does not require any energy. and it requires nodes and 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 host. You, there's still servers that power proof of stake, but they're not 
energy intensive servers. They're, they're nodes that are just talking to each other and, and that's the way that they validate blocks. And you know, that's a whole other discussion. So, so one is you're actually mining the currency. The other one is you are kind of supporting the blockchain, uh, the, yeah. the network. The... Correct. Yeah. So proof of stake is is a design for an example of, of a token that's migrating there as Ethereum. But prior proof of stake, um, you know, is across you know different you know a lot of different cryptocurrencies. And you, so you don't need a physical server to mine it. Instead, you can stake to multiply your yield, or you can just buy the token. Or if you want to become the version of a miner of the proof of stake ecosystem, you could set up a validator node or a master node or a staking node. All three of those terms mean the same thing. And that, and then when you when you do that, you would but you essentially become a miner of that network, right? The validators are the ones that are processing the transactions and and they're the ones that are allowing people to stake their currencies with and 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 get an interest, right? If you deposit your tokens into someone's staking node, you receive an interest. It's like your savings account, right? And the node or validator operator is like the bank. I think of miners like the bank processors of Bitcoin, the Bitcoin ecosystem, right? They're they're validating transactions. They're, they're proving they're they're the proof of work. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm back to, uh, Joe and I've got my 50 K. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, it sounds like you give, you, you share a lot of content. I don't know if you actually give advice, but, um, as much as you feel comfortable advising me, you know, you, it sounds like Bitcoin is very, very competitive. It's very, very specific. It sounds like some of the, um, some, there might be more potential upside to go after some of the, the lesser or the newer coins. I mean, what advice would you give or, or what are you, if you, you don't even have structured as advice, you could just say, what are the pros and cons of looking at, um, let's go for Bitcoin or let's go for some of these uh, newer coins. No, good question. So, you know, I push people towards Bitcoin, um, newer coins on the mining side, if, you're, if you want to mine are, are much riskier and, and you have to be very sophisticated to be successful. And that's because. Um, at any point in time, you know, it's an extremely competitive marketplace, a different manufacturer can come in and make a better machine. And the machine that you could have bought in just one month ago is now worthless. It becomes, a, you know, my term is a doorstop, right? I can hold mm -hmm. my door open and, 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 or I can stub my toe on it. So, so I push people towards Bitcoin because, um, Bitcoin is, Bitcoin mining is long-term. It's, it's, you, you generate da daily yield. It's much less risky. And I really believe in Bitcoin itself long-term, right? If you're going to be mining Bitcoin, you're bullish on the ecosystem. You know, miners are the most bullish participants. They're the ones that think Bitcoin one day will be worth a million dollars per token, right? For example. And that's the kind of mine, you know, I don't preach that to clients and I don't like to give forecasts, but there are, you know, back to your question and what you're trying to get out of me is like, okay, I'm Joe. Um, I have 50 grand, you know, what am I going to do? So I'd say, you know, Joe, you want to buy five machines. And right now the latest and greatest is our S19s and 95% of costs associated to miners is in fact, if you're Joe, it's hundred percent of your cost is just your energy cost, right? Because the cost of your energy is all that you're going to be billed for aside from the machine. So there's OPEX, there's CAPEX. Your OPEX is your cost of your energy. Your CAPEX is your investment on the front side of, of an ownership of the machines itself. So uh, Joe could buy five of these S19s from us for roughly $10,000 a piece. 
Um, at current levels, if I use about a seven cent energy rate and I made some adjustments to a couple of things, I, you know, Joe could probably expect to ROI in about, I would say 16 months, which is not bad, right? And then from that point on daily, he would be receiving profit. Now there's a lot of variables in that. And, you know, it can get complex when, I, when I'm breaking this down, Mark, right? Because if, if Bitcoin price doubles and, and Joe has been holding on to all that Bitcoin that he mines, all his revenue, then the Bitcoin that he mined now um, in six months is, is worth twice the amount than, than it was, right? Um, and, and if he held on to that. So that I call that your strategy, right? Um, mm -hmm. So when, I, when I'm talking about forecasting your ROI, your strategy is going to dictate your success. And the miners that accumulate their Bitcoin and believe in Bitcoin going up in value are going to win because it just creates this, you know, hyper accelerating snowball effect of, of yield and it can accelerate or hyper accelerate your return on investment. And there's another thing that I think, you know, 90% of the Bitcoin mining ecosystem forgets. It's the fact that the 50,000 Joe invests in those five machines those machines aren't going to be worthless in four years. They maintain a residual value. So when you, when I send, I send my clients models and I try to, you know, I break it down for them and I let them, you know, you can actually adjust these equations in an Excel model um, with very, you know, with, we, we put a lot of time into building this, but you can adjust parameters. Um, but anyways, within those models, um, you can put in different forecasts and, and in the end, your machine's going to have a value and something fascinating that's taken place over the years is, is these machines have gone up in value um, as they've mined. So like the S19, which people are buying still today and still is a new machine, um, was, was $3,000, for example, in June of 2020 when it first came out. On the secondary market, I could resell that same S19 for $10,000 now. So, they got, so Joe entered in June of 2020, not only did he you know, profit and accumulate all that Bitcoin he mined over the two years with his 50 grand, but his machines are worth three times what he paid. Now, is is that a factor of the price of Bitcoin, or is that a factor of the shortage of chips, or or both, or neither? Yeah. So I'd say it's 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 really what I think. What I think truly prices a machine is three factors. It is the price of Bitcoin, the most important. The machine itself. Right? Is it still the latest generation? Does it, is it still efficient? Is it still hashing, or does it still have high computation computational power relative to the market? And then, as well, the third would be the scarcity element, right? Because there's a chip shortage. Recently, we saw chip shortage narrative really come to play as it be, as it came to the the mining world, especially, right? Because Bitmain and MicroBT, like I said, you know, two large manufacturers. Now you see Intel entering the game, right? Those companies are ordering their chips from TSMC and Samsung and, and a couple others, right? But I'd say those are the two largest. They're competing with Google and Microsoft and IBM and Tesla and SpaceX for the same allocation of chips. So it's, it's hyper competitive and there's only a certain amount of output that can take place. So machine scarcity, is really important and I think drives price a lot more than people think. Right now, machines have been a little bit more plentiful because 
you know, in my opinion, the largest event in mining took place last year where China banned mining, right? And at the time when they banned it, it was May of 2021, 65% of the global Bitcoin mining network was in China. So what we saw was a fire sale and there's still machines that were running in China that are just sitting in boxes waiting for a new home. So scarcity has been a little less of a factor, but you know, now we're seven months past that. So I think we're almost at the point where all those machines, you know, found a new home or were purchased by somebody else. But um, prior to that, it was really hard to buy machines. And sometimes you, you, you buy, you know, one year into the future. Right. Um, and it's kind of hard for people to stomach, you know, putting up CapEx for a machine right. that you receive in one year. It's a gamble. <laughs> yep. Especially if they're shipping it over from another country, specifically yeah. if it's from coming from China. So so maybe you can talk a little bit about because you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, the, a lot of the mining shifted from China to other countries, including the U.S., um, and what does that look like now in the U.S.? Uh, and, and you mentioned that there are some some pushback from, from some local municipalities and state governments. Um, maybe, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, and that's you know you could talk for days about this, and and we will be <laughs> talking for days. I mean, this is front and center, right? We, we have hearings. Yeah. We have um, we have the government trying to understand what is taking place and how to tax it and what law should be passed. And I think both sides need to be heard out and, and opinions and discussions should be, you know, listened to and had. Um, so when we, you know, when you migrated the machine from China, where did they go? Well, I'd say a large majority of them went to the United States, right? Because um, prior to that Chinese excess event, I'd say the United States was about 13% of global hash rate. Post exit event, an Exodus event and, and where we're at today, I'd say the United States is probably about 45 to 50% of, of current global hash rate. So, I mean, there's your answer, you know, and then the remaining, you know, 65% from China. So, right. So where did that stuff go? Well, there's still some underground miners in China, right. You know, maybe, you know, five, seven, eight, nine, ten 10%, you know, it's, it's still my, it's still there and mining, you know, illegally potentially. Right. They they also went to you know Kazakhstan and Russia and you know any country with the last four letters of stand Canada you know, Venezuela South America you know where miners flock to where there's cheap energy and and now there's a whole narrative around ESG right which is um, front and center as you talk about the network and really you know the only thing that I think people try to pick on Bitcoin about right saying that we're using dirty energy which, you know, in theory could be coal power energy or and it's not good for the environment and this energy should be used elsewhere. Um, we can we can discuss that, of course. Um, but back to, back to where we're going with policy. Um, so right now you have, we actually saw some policy come out or discussions take place where um, the government may be taking a position on not taxing, staking or mining. And that's like fresh news that came out in the last week. And it actually started... Um, I first read about it when there was a gentleman in 2019 who was staking and he actually tried to sue the federal government um, claiming that he shouldn't have to pay taxes on the new coins that he minted, right? And that, mm -hmm. that means that, think of, you know, these, Bitcoin itself is property. It's not considered a currency legally. So why would I be taxed on property that I am creating 
upon creation. We I, I wonder if there's, if there's any kind of parallel, like, for example, if I go out in my backyard and, and, and dig up a hunk of gold, um, to use a real mining example, uh, it, am I taxed on that? I mean, uh, I, and what, on what? On the gain? Or, you know, how would that no. work? Yeah, right? it's the same parallel. <laughs> That's a great. I always love to give the, the, the gold mining, you know, parallel. Like, they're, they're very similar. Yeah, you go find gold in your backyard. You, you declare you have in your possession but you shouldn't pay taxes on the sale. I mean, you shouldn't pay taxes on it until you sell it. And then your, your net cost, well, in your gold example, right? Your net cost is like zero because you find it in your backyard. So you'd have to, you know, depending on you know, what the fair value was and what your tax bracket was, you, you would pay that percentage based on when you sold it. And that's our argument. Um, we will declare what we mine. We will mark it as revenue. Um, but the property that we are accumulating, um, we should not be taxed on until we sell it. And so that's so that's that's where that's where I think there's a lot of discussion. And then the second thing is understanding around, you know, does the government support it, right? And I think it goes down to the state level, and you you hit the nail on the head with your question. I think it's a state by state um, political decision. I'd say the most friendly states in the United States right now are Kentucky. That's where I do most of my mining and set up shop. Um, Texas, which is probably where the largest miners are and has the largest hash rate and a very good energy grid. And then um, others like Wyoming have been very friendly. Um, I, I really think those three states are the best. And then West Virginia too, you know, you could sprinkle in. But like Kentucky, for example, has law that has been passed in the House of Representatives and in, the, and in the Senate that incentivizes miners to mine there. They want us to come mine there. They subsidize um, the cost of people to work in our mines. They pay for import costs and shipping costs. They defer taxes. They give us subsidized rates on energy. Um, that's amazing. And is there their rationales because you're going to be creating jobs? Because obviously, I mean, the, the, the tax thing is, you know, we put that on the shelf for a second because, you know, what, whether it can be taxed or not. But is it is it just the, simply the job creation or the facilities purchases or? Yeah, so it's creating, we're invest, we're actually like revitalizing an economy. Mm -hmm. Like, can, look at Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky was a coal state, for example, or a manufacturing state. A lot of that, those coal and manufacturing jobs, you know, they're gone. And these, these areas have been decimated. You know, a lot of these areas had you know, opioid, opioid crisis. Like you're, you mentioned West Virginia. I mean, that's same. Yeah, it's just coal, right? <laughs> yeah, it's coal town. So, so um, what's cool is you can actually take that infrastructure, right. Um, from those manufacturing coal plants and you can repurpose it to mine Bitcoin instead. And so you're creating economies, you're creating tax income for the States. You're creating new jobs. And then you're, you're, you're painting nice narratives and you're giving them benefits. You know, for us, you get, you know, we give health insurance, we give a 401k, um, we pay salaries, you know, uh, that are, that are livable wages, you know, like 60 to 80,000, for example, for a local Kentucky. Um, we, we invest into the, the areas, um, we promote, um, you know, the local communities and, and we invest in the communities and, and, um, and and they they've embraced that and and you're you're coming into very poor areas so it, it's a really nice story that i don't think it's talked enough about 
and the same in some you know really rural areas of Texas and yeah you talk about West Virginia and what and and then it goes down to you know okay we get that what about the energy right what energy are you using are you using coal well no the I mean the short answer is no and I think the the best the most efficient way to mine is pulling from the grid right the United States energy grid and different grids have different allocations of energy, right? Um, example of a grid that we use is PGM. It's, it's fairly sustainable. There's a small percentage of coal, but it's mostly sustainable energy. It's nuclear, it's, it's, it's hydro, it's wind, it's solar. Um, close to where at in Kentucky, there's a hundred megawatt solar farm being built next door. Um, that's awesome for us. We're just gonna say, hey, we wanna use that energy. So I think miners are, are very aware of the energy that they're using and they want it to be sustainable. And actually, and factually, sustainable energy is the cheapest. Because our, as a miner, if you're if you're actually the owning entity of the farm and not Joe, about 90% of our cost associated to mining is on an OPEX side is energy. And the cheapest energy is sustainable energy. So we, you know, what's the cost of hydro? Well, you know, it's not extremely expensive. The solar that's, that's that's interesting because I mean, I, I've actually done a fair amount of reading on the the topic, and you know, one of the one of the big detractors for renewable is that they say the energy density for any of the renewables is extremely low compared to um, you know hydrocarbon. Uh, you know, and, and hydroelectric fits somewhere in the middle there. Um, and then you know, and, and and let me put it aside. Nuke power is the most efficient. By yes. far, okay. So if you're using nuke power, um, yeah, it's it's efficient, it's cheap, um, but we don't have any nuke plants coming on the grid. Okay, so so, <laughs> but we do have a ton of hydro. Excuse me, excuse me, a, a ton of solar, a ton of wind coming on. Um, and you mentioned Texas, and then last year, you know, Texas had an issue, which turns out actually wasn't the wind farm's fault. Um, they initially blamed it on, you know, the, the wind power, but then they dug into it, and these um, a big portion of their grid had been taken offline for maintenance, so it wasn't even available. Um, there's some other issues as well. But let me let me ask you, why is it is it do you be, are you getting subsidies or something, or why is it cheaper, or is it just it is cheaper? Yeah. So. I mean, it just is cheaper. Okay. <laughs> in short, that's the way I've seen. And you know, holding you know thirty-year energy contracts, like, um, and then you're, you're seeing, you're seeing grids um, become utilized. And 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 what happens is miners are the perfect complementary providers to the grid. They stabilize the grid and they allow the the source of energy to build out an excess. Um, because what what happens is, um, I'll give an example: a natural gas, right? There's like there's there's a debate like is natural gas sustainable or is it not? I think it is. So I'm I'm in I'm in I'm in the camp of natural. Well, gas it's clean. It's cleaner than some of the alternatives. That we can definitely agree on that, right? Yeah, yeah right. So, you know, way better than coal. But natural gas is bad if if we're flaring the excess energy. So, but mm -hmm. if you put a mining farm next to a natural gas well, then what happens is instead of flaring that excess energy, we're using it for mining Bitcoin, and we're not putting CO2 in, or, or carbon emissions into the environment, right? Um, that's a great example. The same for like a nuclear plant. You, you, you also like, there needs to be more nuclear plants, I agree with you, but like you, nuclear plants and, and massive grids will need to, need to be in more densely populated areas. And you don't wanna, if you produce, you know, you wanna build to the grid itself. So if you have miners setting up shop, you know, all around, you know, the states, 
they're just complementary to the grid. And they're, they're balancing the grid. They're going to lower the energy rate. They're going to build, help build out, put a use case and build out the infrastructure of the future. And, and, and what's fascinating is, and you actually, there's, this is oh, in the headlines the last week, you saw Windstone and Texas miners curtail their energy, you know, shut off their mines because the Texas grid needed the energy um, due to outages from a massive storm. Mm-hmm. And and you see that right, and then on the curtailment side, um, what you know, that's amazing. And 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 you know, we did our you know Blockware did that last year too. And and when there's a massive storm in 2021 in Kentucky, we uh, the energy company called us and was like, hey, um, would you be willing to re- redirect your 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 energy so that we can keep the local communities power online? We're like, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you yeah. for that. Thank you. No. Uh, so, um, hey, uh, and I shouldn't be laughing at uh, you know local communities without power, but um, I just I, I, I thought it would it, it was very nice for them to ask you instead of just flipping the switch and saying, hey, power to the people first. But um, let me um, let me jump tracks here for a second and t- and talk about security because you know the the, yeah. the theme of our show is secure talk, and there's two issues I'd like to bring up. Um, one is you know you mentioned that the mining rigs are made in China, and I'm assuming that's uh, mainland China and not Taiwan. Is that correct? So um, what we've seen actually is a lot of these manufacturers shifting where they manufacture. Um, so we've seen a shift to Indonesia, Malaysia, and from China, right? Um, so okay. those, we've seen we've seen a, a shift to those countries for a lot of different reasons, and and it makes a lot of sense. So I'd okay. say either China, Indonesia, or Malaysia right now. So, and, and we know that there has been, I mean, both the U.S. government and the Chinese government has at certain times influenced domestic manufacturers to create backdoors and different types of tools that um, will allow them to kind of keep an eye on certain things. You know, um, how how is a Bitcoin miner or somebody who's um, buying one of these rigs is that a concern at all? Do I need to be aware that, you know, how do I know that my machine has not been compromised? Yeah, that's a great question. And that, that, that comes to the trust element. So for us, you know, we, we're either ordering from directly from the manufacturer, uh, new machines or, or from trusted sources that we've been working with for many, many years. And in fact, over the years, I've seen a range of security problems to that exact question. And the Chinese were, were very sophisticated and and sometimes some people, you know, and Mark can name names, I've known that have bought machines over the years, like the Chinese put in physical implants into those machines. Mm-hmm. That physical implants that skimmed revenue automatically. And it took and it, like one of one of you know a colleague I knew like didn't find that physical implant after mining for like a year. And then wow. there's there's also been physical Im- implants that uh, the machine showed up and it, it may, the seller may not have known, right? They didn't test it, but but whoever the seller was before them um, made it so that there was uh, malware on there that essentially says, if you don't send us, you know, X amount of Bitcoin, um, then these machines will never be able to operate because it, it had a, a physical implant in there that, you know, they eventually were able to remove that um, just turn the machine off every time you try to turn it on. So you need to be, so you need to, um, you need to trust your supply chain and order from, you know, trusted channels and networks. And, and what we do, you know, we try to protect our client base when we get the machines, you know, we're, we're pretty 
direct manufacturer we've been using for years. We know the source, we know the commercial invoices. You know, if we see any red flags in the supply chain process, um, we we can catch those. You know, and for us, we've sold over 250,000 mining rigs since 2017. Um, so we've been around the block and certainly have been in all sorts of situations. <laughs> so we, we're very careful, but we test the machines when we get them and we report if there's issues immediately. And we we have, you know, um, ways of testing them, you know, physically and, and testing them for um, seeing if, you know, any of the firmware has been changed, you know, we, we look at those things and, and that's important, you know, that's, that's security 101. And then secondly, you know, there's a lot of different providers in this space. You want to talk about security. You, you should never work with a provider that, you know, that um, controls your Bitcoin, right? You need to, you need to control your Bitcoin wallet address. And that's, you know, Bitcoin 101 and, you know, cold storage is the best and most secure way to, to secure your Bitcoin or your, or your cryptocurrency, meaning you control the keys, right? There's a, with a, with a cold storage wallet, you're the only person in the world that knows either a 24 um, passphrase to, to recover or, or a pin that you use to enter to access it. And it's offline unless you turn it, you plug it in to turn it online. And we call it cold storage because usually it's offline and it's stored in a secure place. Um, so if you're working with an entity like an exchange, you know, you're at risk unless that exchange has insurance, et cetera, for you. But even an exchange itself won't insure if you're personally hacked. Like someone steals Mason's phone on my phone, you know, I have two off, three off, whatever. If I'm held at gunpoint and someone's like, I'm, you know, I know you're in crypto and send me everything you have on exchanges, I would do it. And you know, you and that's that's an issue. Um, but there's ways around that. There's there's companies like that require multi-authentication, right? Meaning like there's a, there's a company called, you know, Ledger in, in this ecosystem. They, they made a lot of these hardware wallets, but they created an enterprise platform that requires, you know, three of five signatories to send a transaction that could protect people in those circumstances. So that's what storage of assets. Excellent. So um, one other security related question, the uh, crypto jacking where, you know, you, you go to a site, you click on something, some codes downloaded on your computer, and now all of a sudden your computer, your device um, is being used by miners to, to mine crypto. And, you know, you, you, you experience a slight degradation in performance. Uh, a lot of people aren't even aware that it's happening, but because they have the, you know, the law of numbers, and if you have hundreds or thousands of devices that are kind of working behind the scenes for you, uh, you know, so the crypto jack, crypto jackers and miners can take advantage of your d device. What would you, you know, what have you seen? And then based upon what you've seen, what advice would you give? Yes. So um, first off, those are real situations and they were much more prevalent earlier when you could, when it, when the, the, these networks were less difficult to mine. Um, that, you know, back in the day, a computer could mine Bitcoin, for example, it wasn't that difficult, but, but there's other, there's alternative currencies where you, that CPU power is profitable. So you just want to be first off, super careful of websites, um, and clicking on links. Um, you know, my, my employees recently, you know, were getting emails from me, but it wasn't me, you know, to do tasks or click on links. Um, you need to have, you know, filters in whatever uh, email platforms you use. That's the easiest, that's that's what I see the most common attacks happen in crypto, it's email and even text. 
your, you know, your numbers get published and you need to be careful. You know, I use like Nomo Robo, Robo for my phone that filters out phone calls and texts and stuff for me. And that helps me, right? Um, but really just, just don't click on links and don't download um, files unless you really trust the third party that you're utilizing. You can mitigate, you know, 95% or more of your risk just by um, ensuring that you trust the third party that you're working with and going through excess diligence to ensure that www.whatever.com, what you're trying to actually download is the right site. And what happens is there's 10 million, you know, scammers out there, unfortunately, in all different ecosystems, not in just crypto that are really good and becoming super sophisticated at mimicking services. And as it relates to cryptocurrency, um, so, you know, if a hacker does have access to your machine and you're sending a transaction, they could actually like paste in a different wallet address and you're, and you know, as right as you're sending something and then, and then you, then you authorize the sending and mm. boom, it, you're, you're, it's gone. Right. Um, so there's, I mean, you just have to be careful and there's no defined answer, but for me and, and what, you know, I tell my employees and people I work with, it's, you know, just be very careful with third parties and files and, and vendors and, 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 you know, any external party that you work with in this ecosystem more than others, because it's, there's tons of hacks and hackers that go after cryptocurrency because it's digital currency, right? Um, and it's not insured. And there's, there's a lot of unsophisticated users, unfortunately, in the ecosystem. Well, I think, I mean, you've touched on this several times. It's really important to work with a company that you trust, they've, they're well-established, they're well-known, they have a good reputation, um, and and then follow best practices. Hey, Mason, I, this has been like a really fascinating conversation, and I, as you alluded to before, we could probably talk for days about a number, any one of these topics. What, um, what would you like to share about, uh, you know, what uh, um, Blockware is going to be doing, Blockware Solutions is going to be doing in 2022? Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on, Mark. So, um, we're really, you know, right now we're really growing um, our, our company. So we're um, we're growing our foothold in in the hosting space, and we're growing our foothold in the mining space. And we we want to you know grow more hash power in the state. So so reach out to us if you want to mine um, Bitcoin with us. Um, we'll host a machine for you. We have software. We've made this very easy um, for people to mine, and and we'll do all the hard work for you. You you control all the Bitcoin that's mined directly to you as your revenue, and you get you know monthly easily billing. And then on um, on the media side, you know we we're pushing out a lot of research and information for free. So we have a newsletter, uh, we have a weekly podcast. Uh, you just go to blockerintelligence.com, and then the block the, the podcast itself is uh, Blocker Intelligence on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, definitely tune into our weekly sessions. We've had some really good guests on and really good guests scheduled to come on. And that's how you can stay up to date in the market and with some of the services that we offer. And then for us as well, um, on our roadmap, uh, we're building software. Um, you know, we view ourselves like an early stage, you know, like Oracle type of, you know, we started in hardware, but, but we're moving into software. So we're building some really cool um, software um, in the mining space and, and outside of the mining space that I think is interesting. And one other area we're focused on to grow this year is staking. Um, so we're, we're offering institutional staking. Um, for entities, so reach out to us if you have interest in staking currencies. Uh, we we enable that for users, and and I think it's really integral um, to have trusted stakers in this ecosystem, and that's where we're inserting ourselves as a trusted staker. 
Awesome. And I'll put links to the podcast, um, your newsletter, your website, all in the uh, the show notes. Hey, Mason, I really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, yeah, have, have a great 2022, man. Thanks, Mark. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.